Profile Interview. His name is Pure Mklambi. You would have uh, perhaps uh, come across some of the work that he's been doing for over three decades now. Um, a man who is associated largely with photography, but he has other talents. We're going to go into that conversation in a few moments' time. And he joins me now in the studio. Raspio, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Thanks for the invite. So, so a lot of people have looked at your work. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the easy way to describe you is a photographer. But that would be the easy way to describe you. Mm-hmm. But you also make a very strong contribution in the world of jazz. Correct. You also make a strong contribution in the world of the telling of the current affairs story from behind the lens. Some people call that photojournalism, right? That's correct. What are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a good question. I don't know, man. Um, I think I'm a reflection of my community. I'm a servant of a largely South African community from my point of view. You could also say from my, through my lens. Sure. Because it's what I see, um, same thing as creating an image that never existed before. Things like IP. When you create it, you know, same thing that Peter Makubane did, you know, nobody knew that there would be such a body of work that we witness in the past few days when we were laying him to rest. Yep. We saw images that you couldn't comprehend. How could that be possible? Where was that? Now, that body of work did not exist before Peter Makubani was around. Other people probably did it you know, in the schools of this world. But coming to my point, coming to my part of it, it's, it's, I don't want to be classified as a specific... Um, photojournalist or a reporter or documentary photographer. I'm a member of my society. I'm, I'm, there's certain things that comes through me and I reflect them back to you. Right. And that does not take any learning from any institution to understand that. It's your upbringing. It's your point of view. It's how you understand things. It's what happened to you and how do you translate back because we are a society that is intertwined with our hardships it's with with um you know i remember when i used to go to school in the early days in the 80s at the tulani primary there was a certain teacher there or mr george sibanyoni <coughs> mr sibanyoni would know um what you ate last night at, at your home you could profile all his kids in the class in a certain way that when he says something to you, you it would make sense. It's almost like he was there, you know. And this one particular day, um, he was punishing people that did not have shoelaces on their shoes. As much as I did not have shoes, I was barefoot. But obviously, I managed to scrabble shoes. I went to my ticket to I don't know if you know, it used to be a place called my ticket to anywhere we were a panda, you know. A torn shoe, you fix it at home, or this or that. Scavenging, really. Yeah. 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 So, salvaging and scavenging. Yeah. 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 It's like my ticket to I don't know. It's a similar thing to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I put together this pair of shoes, but my shoelaces, it didn't have shoelaces on. So, he noticed that. 
So as we walk in with the line to take our place, you know, in the classroom, and he's in front on his desk, he already knows who he's going to punish, regardless of your circumstances, whether you're poor or what. So as he comes row by row, he comes to me and he says, Mr. Mshambi, get up and give me your hands. For Back in the days of corporate, of corporate punishment. Yeah, you know, you extend your hands, yeah. both of them like that, and yeah. he'll give you however ever many lashes. Yeah. And I said, but Minier, I'm... What is, what is this for? He said, you even have a card to ask me that. And then he looked. I have shoelaces on. You could say it was magic. It was not magic. I realized somehow this is what he was doing. So the, if you know, they used to be called the, the butter. You yeah. know those shoes. Yeah. They, still, sort of, they still exist. They still exist. Yeah. There used to be a string that runs around it, you know, yeah. around the, 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 the heel. Yeah. Yeah. So I tore it off. Ah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I created that. Like, I mean, didn't fit all the holes. Like about four holes. Probably yeah. I did two or three. And then my shoes were. And then he looked at it, and then he, I at last. <laughs> I looked like a staff room. Yeah. Say, you know, there's a child in that room that I cannot understand. He always finds something to get out of trouble. Yes. So, but that was things that you learn as a child. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. So it develops into what you become as an adult. Mm-hmm. And then that obviously comes challenges, employment, how do you survive, you know? If you're going to have a family, how are you going to mend that family? You're going to marry, you're going to have a business. All of those things comes along. But you obviously you need to learn how you get there. Yeah. So these are the tips that just comes along, including uh, uh, Dr. Peter Mokubani whom I met around 1989. Um, it's a similar story. You know, I, I used to, well, I was given a camera by this lady, a beautiful lady. I mean, I respected beyond yeah. Sister Pilo Pokiano, yeah. who picked me up in the streets during the time when they were doing census. I think it was the first census around 1980 or so. And I was not included in a permit of that home, myself and my younger brother, Nako. So she asked questions, and the old man couldn't, didn't have answers. But he was happy that we don't go to school because then we'll sell firewood for him. We'll do all... Your all, labor, yeah. Yeah, all odd jobs. <coughs> and that, this was our daily life, you know. We used to even work at a school called Lekang in, I think, uh, uh, White City, yeah. where he was a gardener, and then we worked with him. So we'll do the garden work with him. You're part of his contract. Exactly. Yeah. So then Sister Peter comes along and says, no, man, these kids should be at school. Why are they doing these odd jobs? And the old man refused, but then she threatened with uh, social workers. Right. Eventually released us. So I started school around that time. Around I was about eight, 13 years old. Um, and then she wanted to really help, but she didn't have much means. So she gave me a camera. I don't know what you can do with this. It's laying around there. Nobody uses that. So take it. I took the camera, man. I couldn't use it for two years because still then I couldn't read or write. Um, well, just to fast forward that, it came to a point when I'm like, okay, how do I survive now? Mm-hmm. This thing's just being introduced to me. I need to find a way to, because there was nothing else. Right. 
absolutely nothing. Where was this? So it. This is Morocco North. Morocco North. Yeah, it's called yeah. number one. Sure. Just between Mulapo and White City. And I like, okay. For those of you who don't know, it is Soweto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is Soweto, yes. yes. But then, you know, as, as things happen, you know, faith, even God to an extent, because there's no way you can grow up as a child without that direction, without that molding, without that support. You know, I used to just stand at a gate and then admire kids that used to go to school up and down, you know, especially in the morning when they go buy bread before, you know, they go to school, maybe yeah. have tea, whatever it is. Yeah. And I'll just sit there and dream like one day I will be, I will be wearing a white shirt like that person and I'll be going to school. What, what, what I always find fascinating is the humble aspirations of people who later become successful. Yeah. yeah? I find it fascinating that, that your aspiration would have been to simply wear a, a white shirt one day. That's all I wanted. I find it fascinating that, uh, that Mike Tyson wanted simply to you know, be able to walk around without being suspected of a crime. <laughs> yeah. Um, I find it fascinating that my grandfather, when he left where my people come from mm-hmm. in, in the Arnot part of the world, Arnot, Mpumalanga sort of area, and he rode, all he wanted was not to be beaten. Yeah. You know? It always very, very, it's always amazing to hear the stories of people who have made a mark uh, an indelible mark in life to hear how unbelievably humble their aspirations were. And I always get the sense that that is the fuel that keeps them going in life. Those humble aspirations that cumulatively become something big. Yeah. So the question becomes... Was there a conscious decision that you were going to make your living through the lens, the camera lens? Um, you know, when you live in a hopeless world and somebody just silly an idea that you could have hope, you could have it. Just an idea. Not necessarily giving you what you should have. But just giving an idea that... The possibility. It's possible. You can do this thing. Now, I took the camera and I, I, I mean, I ran around with it. A camera is an expensive, uh, photography is an expensive um, hobby because it started as a hobby. I didn't think it could be a business at the time because it was just a hobby. But that hobby flipped when I started making money because it started with processing film and I'll take weeks before I process that film. I'll take a picture, like a one ten. You know, you remember the Sportmatic one ten. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could have 12 exposures. Right. So those 12 exposures. 12, then it was 28, it was 24, 24, and then, then it was 36. 36. And then 42, yeah? No, 36. 36. Oh, did, yeah. didn't go up further on, yeah? No, I, well, I didn't use that. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. earlier days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now that 12, I mean, what can you do with 12 postcard photos? 
if you sell them by any chance, if all of them came out, because it's not guaranteed that you're going to have 12 of them, you probably have four, three, and probably that to develop that will be about, let's say, one rent. Um, and then you you have 12 exposures there. Yeah. Out of that, you probably going to make money from, let's say, five cents per print, and there's four of them. So that, that sort of crush, crushes your, your dream. You see that there is no way that you're going to survive out of that. Although you don't understand the value of money at the time, um, what is money? But, but what, what kept you going then? What kept you, what kept you behind that camera for the years where it didn't make financial sense to be in this? The hardships. You know, I lived in that home. Um, I opted to do the camera rather than to work in a field because I worked in a field when other kids were at school, planting pumpkins, corns, mealies, all of that. If you don't do that, you're selling coal or firewood. If you don't do that, you're at the school doing the garden. So the only escape is to explore on this little tool called a camera. So that kept pushing me, you know. There was no profit, there was no even margin, you know, for the longest time until when I, at school, the, the teacher allowed me to take pictures of the students. They could pay me rather than in my area. So I, at least I could get, you know, money. And they used to allow me to sell humbugs. I don't know if you remember those Yeah, sweets. I remember humbugs, the sweets, yeah. 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 So yeah. I'll buy the whole pack and break it up and then sell two cents per, per suite. And I could afford to buy a film. And then affording a film and then enough, make enough money and then buy another film and then develop the film. So I could see the gradual growth of this thing. Until I, I, I want to go back to, to your relationship with the field mm-hmm. and the labor. Yeah. It seems as though your formative years with your dad and his need to bring some sort of a living into the home, which he did through labor work. Mm-hmm was something that you later did not want to be associated with? For sure. Tell, tell me what, what happened. Well, I did not understand what was going on there because we were treated differently. I only found out later that that was not my home. It was not my biological home. My father was running away from the authorities, whatever he was doing. He was a member of Somi Gang. So he was always you know, involved in all those stupid things. So... While he was on a ride, we need, we need to we need to have a conversation about Msomi Gang and yeah. all of those things one of these days. Yep, yeah, yeah, sure. Now what happened is that, um, <clears throat> and I'm saying some of these things because at a later stage I managed to have conversations with different parts of the family. You know, I've got few arms of you know there's Mtumkulus, sure, there's Mukwenas, there's uh, Mshambi. Uh, there's Kumalos, all of those are my family. But obviously, I did not know that I have these other branches on this one tree. Now, um, my father tried to leave me with some of those families, but they rejected him for whatever reason, I don't know. Now, eventually, he left me with his friend. The guy that left me with was his friend. I mean, there was no relationship between... A, a biological there was no biological relations. Yeah. Yeah. So, you were just friends. Now, this old man obviously took advantage of that somehow. You know, sometimes, as bad as it was, I'm also grateful for what he did because he showed me what life is. Um, 
I did not know my mother. I did not know my father. I thought this old man was my father. But I spoke different language. Other people were speaking Southern Sisulu and I was speaking Sisulu. But that bothered me. That why am I so different? And I was, I was ill. I was sick. I was a sick child. Yeah. I had sores all over my body. Buladu yeah. used yeah. to break yeah. sores and, yeah. and 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 pus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you'd break, and I couldn't wear clothes because yeah. they will stick when when it dries yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. So I'll stay open, and then and they will have you know uh, tins of oil that they pick up from filling stations. And they will brush me off with that oil because I couldn't even go to a clinic because I did not have any official documents. Right. Green card, ID. It didn't, even my ID number didn't even know at the time. But you asked the question, what, what, what kept me on that? These are the things that I did not want to live with. There, there was a, so so it, it appears to me that the hardship of not necessarily belonging mm. the ostracization yeah. the labor yeah. because it sounds to me that there was almost a an exploitation of your labor everything was against you everything yeah. and that created a particular perception of yes. the work of labor that was beyond the physical hardship of it correct there, there seems to have been an association of the labor with other stuff that yeah. was hurting you as a child. Yeah? Maybe even a curse to an extent. But I did not want to. And how I discovered that, I don't even know how I did that. Because what I did, I ran away from that house. Yeah. And running away, nobody went after me to say, hey, Spewer didn't come back yesterday. Where is Spewer? Go look for Spewer. Like I know is, today. Is this, is this when you were now staying with the, the friend of your of your father? In no, no. This, yes, this is when I was still with him. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I ran away from that home. Right. So I went to a friend. I had a friend by the name of Titus Dabane uh, or Bowe. So Titus, I met him at the youth club. We watched, uh, we used to come, these people that give us free movies as, as young kids. So yeah, we watched. The guys, the guys that would come with the, with the projector. Yeah, the yeah. projector. And yeah, you, yeah, you'll, yeah. There's so much noise of the projector. Yeah. Than the, <laughs> I remember that the, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. the sound that comes from the film. Yeah. So that film was Ilolipop. Ilolipop, yes. Yeah. So there was a scene in that film mm. that sort of resonated with what, what I was going through. And, and, and famously, those who don't know Ilolipop is, 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 a, is an interesting South African production. Yeah? Yes, it is. Um, that came out in the late 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. And it sort of documents the friendship of a young black and white, white boy. Yes. That movie would have been very revolutionary at that time. Oh, yeah given the insulated nature of South African society at the time, blacks did not in mm-hmm. any way socialize with white people unless they were working in town, wherever they're working. Mm. So, so the, the very movie suggested an idea that people could actually be, be people together, which was quite revolutionary at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody watching a lollipop would probably think, what's the big deal? Yeah, it would make sense to you today. But, but, yeah. but then, Back then, I yes. remember yeah. that when we were all watching a lollipop and many of us didn't know how to articulate what we were marveling at, but yeah. the very idea of the humanization of two yes. boys yes. who happened to be white and black Correct. was a very powerful statement. We didn't the know the yeah. language. Yeah. We just like, couldn't speak English. Sure. Or, but I, the visual part of yeah. it. So I saw these two boys play 
Yeah. Especially on a tire. There was a part yeah, where yeah, I remember. one of them got into a tire and they rolled it down the That's hill. That's right. Now, when that film was out, when finish, and then we, we all... Sure, you're bringing some huge memories back now. <laughs> and you're uh, all must, sweating. Yeah, you must yeah. know that cinema where like the, the, the windows were blacked out. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. dark inside because it had to be dark. Sure. It played during the day, but it, they, they covered everything so that it's dark. Yeah. And we're sweating at the same time. Yeah. You know, and it's hot. Yeah. So as we the film finishes, we, we walk outside. Yeah. First person I see, it's this guy, light in complexion. It's a black guy. His name is Titus. And I look at him and say, oh. And I look, I, at the time I still wore torn clothes. I mean, I probably, I wore torn clothes until I was about, what, 15, 16, you know, barefoot every day. Now I see this guy. Somehow I managed to find a lollipop, a sucker, a sweet. And I gave it to him. He accepted that sweet. And I know I had sores all over my body. I was right. smelly. It was dirty, right. you know, malnourished, all that. Right. And he hugged me, you know. Wow. He embraced me and very tight. He accepted the circum. And then I had a friend. For the first time, I have a friend. And that's what I'm saying. I, I, I wanted to tell you that story so that I can, you understand, when I say I ran away from the house, when this guy gave me hope, because then... We end up talking. He says, no, you know what? Come, come live with me, you know? But I said, no, you, you're not in the age where you can be allowed to bring somebody. And he says, well, let's go. Let's see what happens. We go to his house. So he explained to his family, this is my friend. Can he move in with us? Now his aunt, Mangwani, you all call him Mangwani. He says, Tito, do you understand how you're bringing trouble into this house? What's Mang? Do you know who that kid is? Yeah, but he's my friend, you know? And they said, okay, if you want to bring him here, everything that is yours will be cut in half. Every time when you come from school, because I didn't go to school, he went to school. When you come from school, you're, you, wow. you're entitled to a slice of bread. Everybody's entitled to a slice of bread. So your slice of bread will be half, will cut in half. Spew will have one, half of it, you'll have a half of it. Your food at night, same story. Your shows, whatever you have to do, so we'll separate everything. Even when you sleep, you will sleep there. That's what's going to happen. Are you willing to do that? And he said, yes, I will do that. <laughs> that changed. So those are small little things. The hope, you know. I mean, I, 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 know, keep, you know, I keep referring to that yeah. because it was just that lens of light. Yeah. Like a spark. It's not yeah. a light. It doesn't yeah. burn yet. Yeah. But it's just a spark. It's an ignition. An yeah? ignition. So yeah. you keep trying it. You keep trying it. You keep trying it. You see the flames, it gets bigger. But that gives you hope that it's going to catch fire. I'll tell you why, Braspewit, that story is important. Mm. Because for the first time now, I am appreciating why the images that you take have the texture and the raw authenticity that they have. Mm. Because there's something about the images that you take mm. that is not just a documentation of a moment in time. No. It is a visual expression of what's going on in you at the time mm. that is timeless. Correct. I've seen many images of your work and find myself mesmerized just sitting. I think the one time I was in at the market theater. Have you had stuff at the market theater? Yes, I did. I think it was at the Market Theatre. I had gone to watch a play called 
surely goodness and mercy. Mm. Now, there were many different places playing at the market the- theatre at the time, and I remember standing in front of this image, and it almost pulled me into itself. And I realized what was happening to me at that time was an encounter with the timelessness mm. of Spiwa Mlambi and the timelessness of Aubrey Masha. Oh, yeah. It was a moment of powerful realization that you were seeing something mm. that you were able to transport through time, through your camera, into me. Correct. You got it. Yeah? Yeah. And, and, and many people who have looked at the images that you've put out have expressed what I'm expressing in different ways. Mm. But I, it's essentially what I'm expressing. Very, very quickly, I want to tell you the story of a guy by the name of Van Gogh. You, you'll know Van Gogh, the painter. And somebody said once, he said that uh, he painted a, a chair. Probably the cost of the things that he used to paint the chair would have been about $5, somebody mm. said. But that painting sold later for millions, millions of dollars. And somebody asked, why is it that that picture had that kind of value? Yeah. And the other one said it's because it had an impact. Its value came from the impact that it had on people. It had the ability to capture a moment in time. Freeze it. In a way that made us understand eternity without intellectual understanding, but a deep intuitive understanding. That you don't go and learn no, you at, don't. A, at a school, yeah? Absolutely don't. I, I'm self-taught. I've never been, I've never studied in a class and learned photography. Even the way I translate my work and, and for the fact that I don't shoot it in color, because I'm not looking for beautiful things. I'm not looking for nice color, well exposed, or no. I'm looking for that soul that is in the image. And even lately now when I do jazz, because I only don't like to pose people. I want to find them in an element where, for instance, take Tandintuli or Tutuzoma Katin or Linda Skakani. When they get to that mode, if, if I'm chatting to you right now, we chat, we chat, yeah. But as soon as you transform from there to be the artist that you are and you give us the purity of your talent, that's the moment I look for. I could go to a show at any time and I'll watch and I'll still not pick up my camera and photograph. That does not mean anything that this artist playing did not hit me or it's not good. It's just that that thing that moves around me, that, that thing which I can't explain. Did the, n- the je ne sais quoi. Yeah. The it did, X factor. The X factor. It did not push me. I mean, I still enjoy the music. I clap and all that, sing along. But I did not see, he did not come out to, to this thing that I'm looking for. I, 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 I missed out on explaining what I'm getting out of the story, the very, very touching story of how you met with Tito, mm-hmm. the family, the fact that you were a little bit of a pariah, people didn't want you, 
you even speak very graphically of the smells the I was trying to explain that I think that part of the grittiness, the texture of your work comes from that. It comes from that pain. It was prepared by that. Prepared by by that pain. Uh, it, it It is the pain that has become your friend. Yeah. And I've, I have, I've lived with pain all my life, I must say. I'm 56 now. There's always been a challenge. There's always, throughout my life, you know, the passing of my son, my two children, two divorces, business dying, losing property, being sick sometimes. And, and when you look around, you're alone. It's you. You know, I, I appreciate when, when I have... When I look, when I witness friends, when something happens, suddenly there's a group of people around them that love those people. I've never encountered that. I probably have that now in my later stages because I adopted certain people in my life that I wanted to, you know, almost like have them throughout. I have friends that I've grown up with, including Titus, Dito. You know, is Dito still, uh, Dito uh, still around? Yeah. yeah. Vincent is still around. Butabang Ramokhase, you know. All of those guys, I've, I've surrounded myself with them, you know, with, with that hope that I will still make it. I have not reached my, my mark yet. And I'm still that person because I've, I've become accustomed to just working hard every day. I don't have a rest. I mean, I, I'm seeing somebody right now for the first time since I've been divorced seven years. I have a relationship. You gotta give love a chance, brother. I promise you. You man. got to give love a chance. Let me, let me ask you this question. Um, amongst your talents is the ability to capture a moment with the lens. Uh, and, and by the way, if, if you're listening and you're not aware or familiar with uh, Spiro Mshambi's work, Google him. Go, go check out. Go check out the stuff he does. Go check it out. Because I suppose some people would argue that this is the undertaking, the appreciation of Spiro Mklambi's work is the undertaking of an elite group of people. Uh, and maybe that speaks to the marketing of the kinds of work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, but, but it's important for you to go and understand the work that he does from the perspective of a, of a movement of artists that use the camera to paint on the canvas of life. Uh, you've spoken of Peter Makobani. There's a young man that I would love for you to meet. His name is T.C. Chilwa. Um, he does similar stuff with the camera that you do. Um, he's a young, young guy. I mean, he's probably in his early 30s now. I, I encountered him first when he was in his, uh, in his 20s. But he does similar things to what you do with the camera. But he takes pictures of rural settings. TC, uh, not Maila. Maila. Yes. Why, why did I say Chichilwa? Yeah. Maila. Oh, you, you're aware of TC? Yeah, yeah, I know him very well. Do you see well. his work? I love him. Do you see we his talk. work? Yeah. We, we talk, yeah. So, and, and, and he mesmerizes me in the same way that your work mesmerizes me. And people might think, you know, this is a bit of, 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 of marketing. Spirit hasn't paid me a cent 
<laughs> but I've been looking at your work and and it is literally mesmerizing. It's the kind of work that you can stand in front of for hours, mm. simply pulled into the detail, the textures, the 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 rawness of the boldness of not being afraid to take a picture of it of a situation as it is, right? It's an honest me. It's very honest. Yeah. And, and I want to I want to sort of pick that out and marry it with your love for jazz and how mm. your work has now become synonymous with jazz. Talk to me about your journey with jazz and its connection with the Photography, camera. Yeah. yeah. Jazz was introduced to me my by another found uncle of mine because when my father came back you know, I love that old man. May his soul rest in peace. When he came back from wherever he was, many years later, I was a grown-up grown man at the time. He came looking for me, you know. He came to the same house, but I wasn't there. And I got a message that there's a certain person looking for you. He left this address. And they said, he said, he's your father. I said, what? No, I don't have a father, you know. So I, I rushed to the place where he was, and I met him. And then he introduced me to the immediate family, including um, this person that I'm referring to. Now, the reason that I love about him so much is that the only thing that he did was to give me my ID. At the time, I did not have an ID. We went to Hamoche. It was called Hamoche at the mm. time. So he gets there. He does not have any paperwork, but he only remembers the date of birth. That's all he has. He says, no, this is my children. This one was born on such a day. This one was born on such a day. And then they sent him back to say, go to affidavits. Go to the school where he went. Go to the community or whatever, anything, anything that will give us proof. So that's how I got my ID, through affidavits. And my father obviously being a witness to that. Now I want to go back to the question that you were, my alignment with jazz. This very same person that introduced me to Umnyamezele Mkasa was a jazz fanatic. He used to collect vinyls. And, and me being a photographer, so I love to page through magazines and all of that, but I saw the, the, the albums, the vinyls, the size of the world, and I would see these pictures, expressive images of your whole trains, you know, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, Dizzy Gillespie yeah, yeah. With, with his cheeks, cheeks out. Cheeks, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that fascinated me, you know, I thought, this is amazing. This is, is this even in real life? Are there such people? So I started hunting down, looking around if there's people that look like those guys on vinyls. My first encounter, I went to the Blue Fountain. It was Godfrey Muloy. He used to play there. Um, he used to play. He was the owner of the place, but also played music. Yeah, the Godfrey Muloy. The, yeah, yeah, the Godfather. Yeah. So he also well, somehow brought me into his space, you know, whenever you can come here anytime and take pictures. So I started taking those. I mean, I could see him and I could relate him to, because he play, also played a saxophone and he always, always looked like Coltrane doing that side blowing, you know. So these are the ideas that were sort and, of... And, 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 and a very forward-thinking guy uh, yeah. was, was the godfather. He was controversial in many yeah, ways. Yeah, But he loved music, man. Yeah. He loved music. He took me to his home, you know. He showed me even pose. I mean, he, he, I did it my way. I helped him doing his book. So you lie in a coffin there and I'll take those pictures. The whole story. I mean, I have images of Godfrey Muloy that you probably wouldn't even imagine. So giving him that space. So then I met Winston Mankunkungos. 
through this is a time now when I was a drum with with Kezangwenya and I said this is what I want to do from there I met Busisbongile at at uh, Funda Center you know at the time and I'm thinking this thing is happening and I can see you know things falling to a place where I wanted to be I couldn't stop then and I know I was working as a photojournalist but I had a side project here's something that I want to sort of into our conversation is a little bit of an editorial. The fact that your life had a an almost tragic beginning mm-hmm. and the subsequent success, notwithstanding, of course, the challenges that you've had throughout your life, your the passing of your kids, your your your, your failed marriages, if you want to call them that. Mm-hmm all seem to have the characteristic of propelling you forward. Yeah. In other words, they don't debilitate you. I'm sure that it, it, is, it was hard, yeah. but they seem to open up a stream of consciousness each time you go through something difficult and hard. It almost seems to be a marker of a phase in your life. 100%. Yeah? 100%. Talk to me then, what was that marker of a phase in your life that endeared you to jazz? You know, I could rely on jazz so much. There was peace. In oh, you could rely jazz. on jazz. You got, you, hey, wait a second. You, gotta, you, gotta, you, gotta, you could rely yeah. on jazz. And there was peace. F- folks yeah. that don't perhaps consume jazz might not necessarily appreciate the full import yeah. of what you've just said now. I could rely on jazz. 100%. Yeah? Okay? I could rely. I could watch music. Whatever instrument, horn, all sorts of horns from trombone. When when Jonas Kwanga plays the pororo, or when uh, Hugh on his flugel horn, or anybody. oh, it was the picture of Hugh that had me mesmerized at the market. Could be, could it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the picture of Hugh yeah. when he's singing. Yeah? Yes, yeah, 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 with yeah, his yeah. fist up. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, I love that image. Yeah. So that was peace, you know, and. There, and I, you see, the thing is, when you understand the music, and you are photographing that music that you understand, and at some point, um, and I used to talk to guys because I end up meddling with them a lot, you yeah. know, we, and we were open with each other. Yeah. And I, and some of them used to say, like the late uh, Miss Soldiers in Peace, Andrew Peterson, and used to call me the Eye. This is a guy that gave me that name. The Eye. The Eye. And it, he went further to say you're an extended member of the band because you also have your solo. When we take our solos, wow. you take your solo. Your solo, we find, you know, they see you, but they don't see you. I could be under the piano. I could be, you know, crawling. You know, they, you're there. But and when I look at the images the following day, it says, I knew you were going to get that. Somehow at the back of my head, I knew you got it because you understand how we do these things. You understand when we play. And respectfully so, when you photograph jazz, you have to understand, you have to respect that. So, so I, 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 I had a conversation with Sisno Temba Madumu. Yeah. She was sitting where you're sitting now. On a Friday sort of interview like this, mm. she said something very profound about jazz. She said, jazz is not the music you listen to. Yeah. It's the music with which you listen. Yeah. That is it. Yeah, and 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 I thought to myself, yeah. 
Um, those of us who've grown up around jazz, with jazz, in jazz, by jazz, mm-hmm. right, will understand that profound thing you said right at the beginning when you said that I could rely on jazz. I often say that jazz is the precursor to gospel music. Oh, yeah. It is deeply spiritual. It is spiritual. Yeah. And it's not a spiritual that you need to explain to people. Yeah. It's there in you. You express it. You know, you spoke of, of earlier on of the line, you know, the movement. You know, when these guys compose and write music, you ask yourself, what kind of state of mind is this person in? How do you put something like that together, you know? And the flow, that movement, it's, it's even musically, it's like a wave, you know? When the wave come in a certain way, and when the sea is still, the sea is still. But when, it's, when you see the waves moving around that, and you write music along those waves, you know? For me, I find it it's so identical to photography. I could just sit here and do nothing. And I'll produce an image that you didn't imagine that will come out of this interview, like we're sitting here. And you ask me, how did you do that? Because I don't know. I'm controlled by the spirit that lives in me and connecting me to jazz. I can't control it. And I'll probably do this for the rest of my life, whatever is left of it. So I am committed to it. Well, it, it appears that it's committed to you too. You know, so, so, so do you... Do you sometimes get to a point where you you want to sort of put your artistry into a particular particular category, or is it's free reign? Yeah, I don't like to, I don't like to limit it. Yeah, you know, because then you will be putting a bracket. I think the way you understand it, you know, you go to to a gallery, a gallery probably two thousand two hundred square meters with two paintings in it. And, then, and you sit there and you look at it. Whatever you find, it's your piece. Whatever you read from that painting, it's your piece. It's how you reflect in it. And I'm not talking about where you go to a place, there's 100 pieces, then you get confused. Yeah, you yeah. look at that one, you look, then you like that one. No, no. Yeah. Just two in a massive gallery. So these are the things that I wish I could do. Obviously, you know, the limited resources that we have, um, it's the same thing that pull you back, but you don't stop fighting because it's the same thing when I was growing up. I never stopped fighting to get to a point where I will survive. I'll manage myself. I'll even raise a family for that matter. So you don't stop. It appears to me that at a certain level, your, your story, your craft, your artistry, your yielding to the spirit that lives in you is instructive to all of us that your life is in and of itself a message to all of us that says regardless in spite of certain circumstances despite those certain circumstances if we allow that spirit to live in us and through us, mm. it can tell the story of life you go. in the midst of death. Absolutely. In whatever you go through, I'm healing from all the hardships I've had and through what I do. Yeah, well, dude, you, 
You got love happening right now. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it, man. It's okay. I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, yeah. anything that comes, I'm, I'm healing. I mean, I'm wounded. I've, sure. You know, my scars, I, I, I have people that have tattoos, you know, and, sure, and those tattoos means this, that one. I've got scars, actual scars, you know. I'm color-coded. There's areas where I was banned, areas where I was stabbed, because I fought with bullies, you know, all sorts of things. There's areas where I had sores, you know. Those are my scars, and they are part of me, and I'm owning them. At the same time, I'm healing, you know. I just want to be this person that gives hope to others because I, I carried a torch from somebody else that had handed over to me. I was helped by strangers, a lot of strangers. Your Peter Makubani is of this world, Sister Apile is of this world, Liz Kumalo of this world. Those people healed me. <laughs> they gave me hope, and I don't think everything should remain here with me. It has to move on to other people. You know, the, when, when I spoke at uh, Dr. Peter Makubani's funeral, I had prepared to say certain things, but something else took over me, you know. I ended up performing things that I didn't even plan to do, you know. And I went along with that. I thought, you know what, it's a spirit that lives in me that allows me to do those things. So I don't confront it and I don't debate with it. Where can we go and experience Spirit Mklambi and his work? I'm working on a few things. You know, God has blessed me with a, a gentleman by the name of Mudisa Motloaba who just came to me and said, you know, I think we need to change this dimension where you're going. We need to redo things. We need to package you in a different way. So we're working on that. There's a few exhibitions coming up. There's a few projects coming up. A lot of people who might not know your work now, I've said, go Google it. But what... Where would be a, a, a good place to experience experiment? I think my Instagram will give you a, a, a glimpse of, of what I do because it's got a variety of things. And, and, and what, would you, what would be the handle there? Spirum Shambi. Simple as that. Yeah. My brother, it's been profoundly enriching talking to you. The authenticity, the, the depth of, of understanding of your journey is profoundly liberating. Thank, thank you. you for your work and thank you for agreeing to come and talk to me. Thank you. And uh, I can take off this moment mm. as one of the highlights of my career. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. appreciated. Uh, Spiwam Zambi, jazz documentary photographer and visual storyteller.